This podcast is produced by the Center for Deployment Psychology at the Uniformed Services University of the Health Sciences. The views expressed are those of the speakers and do not necessarily reflect the opinions of the Uniformed Services University, the Department of Defense, or the U.S. government. In addition, references to any specific companies, products, processes, or services does not necessarily constitute or imply endorsement by the Uniformed Services University, the Department of Defense, or the U.S. government. Welcome to CDP's podcast, Practical for Your Practice. Where we give you actionable intel to support what you do. One colleague to another. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Practical for Your Practice podcast. I am Corinne Lefkowitz, here with my uh, fellow co-host, Dr. Jenna Ermold. Hi, Jenna. Hi, Corinne. How's it going? Not bad. How are you doing today? I'm a little sleepy. Oh. See what I did there? I do see what you did there. You really are providing an excellent segue to talk about our topic and our guest today. Today, we're going to be talking about the top three questions and or concerns that we get in consultation for insomnia disorder treatment. And to help us with that, we're joined today with one of our friends and CDP colleagues, Dr. Tim Rogers. Hi, Tim. Hey, Karen. How are you? Not bad. It's really nice to have you here today. For those of you who have not had the pleasure of meeting Tim before, I can tell you he is our one of our assistant directors for training and education at CDP, but more importantly and relevant, he is a fellow um, insomnia disorder and sleep disorder subject matter expert. So Tim and I uh, teach together and consult together often on treatments for insomnia disorder, nightmare disorder, and other sleep-related concerns. So we are very happy to have you here, Tim, today. Uh, I know you have been doing a the bulk of the consultation recently when it comes to insomnia disorder on our team. Is that right? Yeah, no, that that's absolutely right. Yep. Um, been doing a lot of consultation uh, with folks who have been primarily working in the primary care sector. Um, but Yep. With a lot of training and getting follow-up questions from um, post-training events as well. So, Well, that is why we invited you to join us today, Tim. And uh, we're hoping you brought along your top three questions that you've been getting lately in consultation. I hope we could have a chat about that today. And then, of course, as we've been doing um, with this season of the podcast, we're also going to ask you to talk about a time when your insomnia disorder treatment went sideways and did not go as planned so we can learn from your experience. Sound okay? Oh, sounds great. Looking forward to this. All right. Well, you want to start us off and tell us um, maybe what the the top question is that you've been getting recently in regards to insomnia disorder questions? I would say that probably the number one question or concern that I get happens to deal with scoring the the sleep log or fears about scoring the the, the sleep log. And, you know, there might be a a math phobia pandemic that's out there, but it seems that that just really, you know, intimidates uh, people. And so I I usually kind of go over uh, a couple key points with, with folks when, whenever this, this issue comes up and the. Tim, can I ask you a question about that? I was going to ask him to define it. Yeah. Yeah. What, what fears come up with the sleep log? 
people feel like they don't necessarily know how to actually score the sleepwalk. So what, what are they looking at? You know, sometimes in training, when we go over certain slides, the sleep log looks really nice. Um, and, and it's very easy to read versus, you know, perhaps when they get the first patient and they fill out this, the sleep log sleep diary. So this includes information about like, when did you go to bed? When did you wake up? How long you were asleep for, you know, how many times you may have woken up during the course of the night, how long you were up for, you know, all, all these kind of basics, whether you had caffeine, whether you took any alcohol, whether you exercised, just uh, it, it gathers a lot of data about a, what's going on with a with a person's sleep, and we use this as as a tool to to really get a certain sense of what's really going on with, with our with our patients in terms of their their sleep and sleep related behaviors. Yeah, that sounds exhausting. My job for this podcast is just going to be to make bad sleep jokes the entire time. <laughs> awesome! You are doing swell, Jenna. You're doing a great job. Thank you for your contribution. I, I was going to uh, just piggyback and note how important the sleep log is to all of our um, sleep assessments and sleep treatments. It's really an integral part of both, of both assessing and treating sleep disorders. And Tim, as you pointed out, there's so much data that's collected on the sleep log as well that it becomes, um, at least in my experience, really important for new providers to understand it and to be comfortable explaining it to patients as well. So thank you for defining it um, for us. And so tell us a little bit more about what the issues have been and how you've, uh, how you've advised people. I think the, the, it's so true that there's a lot of information that patients are capturing with, with this tool. Um, And so the first point is just giving people a process, providers a process to how do you actually work your way through the sleep log? And and it's a little bit different when you're looking at just, for example, uh, what we call a visual sleep log where people are are drawing lines of when they went into bed, when they got out of bed and and doing shading for, you know, how much time they're spending to sleep, you know, and then people having to to, to count that um, to make their calculations versus if you use something that we call the consensual sleep Uh, diary where people are actually just uh, putting in numbers. And then there's an Excel file that people can use to enter in those numbers to get the overall scores for metrics that we're looking at, things like the total time in bed that a patient is is having or the total uh, sleep time that that a, a patient's having. So I think part of it is even, okay, I asked my patient to do this. Now I got it back. Where, where do I begin with all this information? So literally just having a systematic process to actually go through knowing that, okay, the first thing that I'm going to look at is, you know, calculating their time in bed. Then I'm going to go to the total sleep time. Then I'm going to look at their sleep onset latency. And then I'm going to look at their way. So, or, you know, I might first look and see, you know, on average, when are they going to bed? When are they waking up? You know, so as long as they kind of have a method to the madness, I I find it really helps them to be able to kind of work through all of the data that's there. Um, And that and as long as they have a process for working through that data, that also helps them to do that in a timely manner. 
Because that's the other concern that I hear a lot. Like, oh my gosh, um, I I might know the math part, but I I feel like you know I only have X amount of time to be able to get this done with the patient in session, and I I have no clue how I'm going to be able to to do, get all this in 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 the amount of time that I have with the patient. So it sounds like part of what you're doing with them is really working to figure out that system, um, get to the meaningful in the in the entire all the data you're collecting, find that data that's really important to moving the treatment forward for the client to understand. Um, because again, you know, we give those self-reports or we give those um, diaries, sleep diaries, or any kind of diary, it's a pain for a client to use. So the faster they understand how meaningful this is, and I and I imagine that's a lot of what you're doing with providers is translating this getting the data, consolidating it, and translating it to the client so that they understand how critical this piece of treatment is and how this is going to really assist them in taking those step forwards to get back that sleep. Does that does that resonate? Oh, absolutely. So not only just having a method um, to work through the data, but then also highlighting for clinicians that depending upon what session you're in, what is the most important data that you really need to look at? So just for example, you know, in session two of CBTI, um, cognitive behavioral therapy for the treatment of insomnia, what you're really looking at is needing to get a, some sense of their total sleep time and a good wake up time in order to give them their new sleep prescription, right? So, uh, yeah. so you can still calculate everything else, but there are certain metrics that are more important in, in certain sessions to be aware of. So I think that also helps people in terms of time and efficiency with this as, as highlighting, okay, in certain sessions, there might be some data that is even more critical that you're going to be using and explaining to, to patients. So helping them to outline that is also seems to be pretty helpful for folks. Okay, that's great. And um, I'm, I'm glad you're all there to consult on that because it sounds like a lot to digest initially. I'm sure you kind of get your, your system down. What's the second most common question you get in consultation? The next one that I see a lot is um, addressing comorbidities. So, you know, I think this one comes in the form of people are wondering like, okay, uh, I'm not exactly sure they're mentioning sleep problems and depression, sleep problems and anxiety, sleep problems and trauma. And I, I don't know necessarily where to begin. Um, and, and so really kind of under underlying that is, is this idea about, you know, is this a person that I could do um, CBTI with, or, or should I start CBTI with this person given you know, that they also have anxiety, they also have depression, they also have PTSD. That is, I'm so glad you brought that up because uh, I think you and I would agree, Tim, that in our, in our experience, sleep is very rarely the only issue that a client is presenting with. You know, it's the rule rather than the exception that there are typically comorbid concerns and either sleep is fueled by those comorbid concerns or it leads to those concerns. So it's always a complex interplay and it's very common to see. So what's your advice for how to how to handle that not so simple question? Well, I think, you know, one of the things that I first point out to people, I go back to Maslow's hierarchy of needs, right? It's hard to be the best version of yourself if your core physiological needs are not getting met. 
and there's a lot of research that actually supports this. So that if you have comorbid insomnia and depression, comorbid insomnia and, uh, and anxiety, comorbid insomnia and PTSD, what we tend to see is that the severity of those other comorbid conditions are more severe. So more severe depression symptoms, more severe anxiety symptoms, more severe trauma symptoms. We also see greater challenges with remission and greater risk of relapse if the sleep component is not addressed. One area that we're still trying to figure out is the best sequencing of, of treatment. And there's been more research that's been done in this area with PTSD and comorbid insomnia. Uh, in fact, there's a recent study that just came out, uh, published in 2023 by Taylor et al. And they actually found that whether you did CPT and CBTI treatment uh, or CBTI prior to doing PTSD treatment or after doing PTSD treatment, it showed a significant improvement in insomnia symptoms than, you know, if you just did trauma treatment alone. And that actually they found some evidence that actually if you did insomnia treatment after PTSD treatment, that they saw even greater reductions in both the PTSD symptoms and insomnia symptoms compared to if you did it before. So I think this is an, a really interesting area of research that we'll probably need to get some, some more data on. But the bottom line is, is, is that sleep significantly has a huge effect on our, on our physical health and on our mental health. So that is, it's, it's important to say that I haven't seen any evidence that says that you can't start CBTI treatment, even if our patients have, you know, anxiety, depression, or, or PTSD. Right. I, I actually was even going to say, um, I was going to take it a step further, not to put words in your mouth, Tim, but I was thinking it sounded like you were saying, and I absolutely agree with the notion that if insomnia is present, it's worth treating. Even if there are comorbid conditions, there's very rarely a reason not to treat it if you have the opportunity to do so. Yeah. And the other thing that I would also mention is, is that the treatment for insomnia is a relatively brief treatment. You know, we see that most people, especially if they're following through with the treatment recommendations, need only between four, four to six sessions. So this idea that if I if I focus on sleep, you know, that this is going to completely dominate the course of treatment and, and not allow me any other time to address other things. I just I haven't seen evidence of that. So it sounds like, a, you know, a case by case sort of consultation question in some ways, like really looking at the client in front of you, looking at client preferences, I'm sure as well, I imagine play into that, you know, here are the treatments that we, I think can really help you, you know, we have to figure out what order we're going in, um, you know, could be, could be another important thing, but to reinforce their great treatment for this. And we should engage in that, whether that's before, you know, PTSD treatment or before depression treatment or after that, um, we don't want to leave it not you know, not treated. Um, so that's, that's great. And reinforcing the sort of short length of time. Um, how about that third, that third most common consultation question? Well, this, this third consultation question in a lot of ways, almost kind of ties back into the one that we just went over, but I see this a lot in terms of, you know, when to start CBTI treatment or BBTI treatment, like what, what is quote unquote, a good case? Like, you know, can, can I, can I start this treatment with, with, with this person or, and, and I, Tim, can I um, jump in for a second and just, I know we are sleep experts and we totally know what this means, but for those of uh, our listeners who may not know, could you tell us what CBTI and BBTI are really quickly? 
Yeah, so that's referring to the cognitive behavioral treatment for insomnia and the brief behavioral treatment for insomnia. Thank you, sir. Continue. So, you know, one of the things that we often talk about is, you know, what what is a what is a potential good case? And, and there's pr- pretty much two criteria that I, I will use with with folks. One is that in most clinics and the people who I'm working with, they tend to be using the insomnia severity index as a screening measure. So we'll talk about the, the cutoff scores. And, and research would say, for those who are presenting in a clinical setting, a score of 11 is a, a pretty good cutoff score. Even though if you read the measure, a score of eight could still be considered subthreshold. And scores of 15 or higher are in at least the moderate severity level for for clinical insomnia. So if they're popping positive on those screens, um, then it's definitely worth asking them whether or not they meet the diagnostic criteria for insomnia. And if they actually meet the diagnostic criteria for insomnia, then I think it's really been supportive of saying, you know what, then this is a person that you could be doing um, either uh, cognitive behavioral treatment for insomnia, CBTI, or brief behavioral treatment for insomnia. Uh, BBTI uh, for for these individuals, because what we see from the research is that you can treat mood disorders, you can treat anxiety disorders, you can treat trauma-related disorders, but one of the things that continues to persist are these insomnia symptoms, and that we need to oftentimes very specifically target those perpetuating factors that are actually maintaining the insomnia symptoms through using interventions such as CBTI or BBTI for insomnia. Awesome. So really being a a little bit more flexible in terms of thinking about who might be an appropriate candidate. Again, like you said, that really ties in or follows from the second point that you made, but they're very much interrelated. Yeah. And and I really think this just ties back to that the way most uh, behavioral health providers are trained is often thinking about sleep as a symptom versus a separate um, psychological disorder. Um, Sure. So so I think, you know, we often just think like, well, if I just treat the depression, anxiety, you know, then or the trauma that these sleep issues will just resolve. And, and we have some actually good data to show that that's not not the case. So if they're screening positive for insomnia and they actually meet the diagnostic criteria for insomnia, um, we're seeing that the best course of treatment is actually to specifically address that using evidence based treatments such as cognitive behavioral treatment for insomnia or brief behavioral treatment for insomnia. So those are those are really great specific. Um, thank you for for bringing us those top three questions and how you usually respond. And um, we're gonna we're gonna summarize all the actionable intel. But before we do that, Tim, this is the exciting season where we are getting real. Um, we're ex- we're opening ourselves up. You know, we're being vulnerable. And uh, you know, you are clearly very masterful in the treatment of insomnia. But I'm guessing in in your history of treatment, things always haven't gone perfectly well. So we're wondering if you will enter the EBP confessional and give us a, uh, a quick a quick story of a time when things maybe went sideways with BBTI or CBTI uh, and, and, and maybe just a snapshot and, and what happened and how, how things kind of maybe righted themselves if they did. Yeah, no, no, thank you. Um, I had a case, uh, an individual male patient, mid-30s, um, and he had multiple conditions. Um, so he had bipolar personality disorder, a substance use disorder, and all of those were pretty well stabilized 
prior to this person coming to me for treatment. And my portion of care for this individual was focusing on trauma treatment and the treatment of this person's insomnia. Um, and so I did CPT first and that went pretty well. Um, no longer met the, the diagnostic criteria. And then we did um, CBTI. And this is where uh, I encountered something that I hadn't encountered before. And so this person typical to like other patients, you know, sleep was all over the place. Um, and so this person was an active duty officer and we were working on, you know, establishing a good wake up time. And so, you know, the wake up time was, let's say like 530 and he was only getting about five hours of sleep. So we set his, his bedtime. Right. And so um, he was still struggling um, to uh, he, he would go to bed earlier. Um, and saying like, I can't make my bedtime. And he would have early morning awakening around kind of like 2.30 ish. And despite what we were doing, he was doing pretty good stimulus control, like, but for some reason he still wasn't able to hit his targets. So I had a couple of sessions where I was just trying to figure out like, what's going on? How come we can't, you know, get his, get his sleep consolidated. And he went on leave and he actually continued to fill out his, his sleep logs. And when he came back, what I really noticed is, is that it seemed like he had more of an advanced sleep phase, meaning that on this person's natural tendency, he would go to bed very early in the evening and he would wake up really early in the morning. So when you ask somebody the question about early morning awakening, right? Here was a person that, yes, he wakes up early in the morning, but that was almost more of a natural circadian rhythm issue versus it really being a problematic issue. And the problem I was running into is I was trying to fit him into a schedule that I thought was going to really work for him, right? but then, but then it, then it didn't. And, and so what was interesting for me is, you know, ultimately his sleep schedule was from 830 at night to 230 AM in the morning. Now he was able to go to sleep at 8:30 without any problems. He stayed asleep, didn't wake up. But I I I was concerned. I was like, you realize if you go to bed at 8:30, you you know when you're gonna wake up, right? It's gonna be really early in the morning. But that didn't bother him. <laughs> he liked awesome. getting up, he liked getting up early in the morning. He it, you know, and it was absolutely fine. And since in the military, you know, there was no problem with him going to bed early and waking up early. Right. You know, it, it wasn't anything, you know, to, to diagnose, but it, the case always has stuck out to me because when we think about the problem of early morning awakening, we, we tend to think of that. That's a problem. That's a problem. You know, I, I need to fix that. You know, why, why is this going on? But here, this was part of this person's natural tendency. And I just didn't recognize it until I, I had some additional data. So I spent like, you know, two or three sessions trying to cram them into something that really wasn't working for him. And I, I just completely thought it was something else that was going on. So that's such a great example. I love that. Um, I love that example because yeah. um, that sounds personal, like my personal hell to get up that early. And I would be in the no, same right? boat, right? <laughs> that I would be thinking, this is terrible. We need to fix this for you. But it's not about me as the therapist. It's about right. the client, right? So true. <laughs> yeah, that sounds awful. But, um, you know, just to make us feel a little bit better, Tim, when Jenna and myself and Kevin have shared our EBP confessionals, we've talked about how we questioned our own abilities as a therapist and we doubted our own skills. And we're really hoping we're not alone here. In that moment, did you have your own doubt? Did you question your abilities at all? 
Yeah, I, I. Oh, you liar. You were confident the whole time, weren't you? No, I had no idea what was going on with this, with this person, because again, I mean, you know, we, we had, keep in mind that I already had gone through 12 sessions of CPT with this person. So I had really good rapport. The person had did really good homework. So when I was seeing that this person was doing really good stimulus control and following all of the other sleep recommendations that I, I was having, like, you know, I was just kind of like, okay, why, why, this is usually not what I'm seeing. I'm usually seeing something that, that, that works. And so, um, you know, I was, I was fortunate that, um, this person took some leave and, and, you know, actually continued to fill out their sleep log. So I could actually look at this and, and notice like, Hey, there seems to be a clear different pattern. Let's, let's talk about this. And that might be more of that. You might have a, a more of a circadian rhythm preference that um, that wasn't necessarily reflected in the early uh, sleep log diaries, just because a person's sleep was a mess and bedtime, wake time, and things were all over the place. Right. So, um, so even though I was kind of questioning things for, for a while uh, it was just a, a good reminder to, to stick with the process, um, continue to consult with people and, you know, to not forget about the fact that, yeah, you, your preference for sleep and wake time might not be, you know, what your patients might have. And, you know, that people can have these uh, circadian rhythm preferences mm -hmm. uh, that uh, we need to sometimes be aware of. Yeah. And, and if I may, what I also like about this story is it sounds like in the end, it worked out, even though it didn't go the way that you thought it would from the outset, the mm -hmm. client stuck around and got better. Is that right? Yeah, no. Uh, yeah, his, his sleep got consolidated. He didn't have any sleep complaints. We didn't, didn't you know, resolve the insomnia um, diagnosis. And and again, it just, uh, I have to laugh every time I think about it that, you know, early morning awakening might not only, might not always be problematic. Maybe that's actually an indicator of what their preference is. <laughs> right, so. especially when working with military populations. That's an excellent point. Yeah. Well, Tim, thank you. I feel like um, you took, you really took us through some of the most common concerns that may come up for our listeners who maybe are learning CBTI or BBTI, or maybe I've been doing it for a little while, but are running into some complicated cases. So I'm going to do my best to kind of wrap up what you mentioned and um, take us into the actionable intel, if you will, from this episode of what providers can take home. And we'll see how well I do. You can correct me if I miss anything or add in anything that I've missed. But it seems like the first item that you mentioned um, is to try not to get overwhelmed by that sleep diary, knowing it's new uh, for a lot of people as, as mental health providers. We're not really excited about doing math most uh, a lot of times, and that anxiety can get in the way. But it can be helpful to remember that while you are collecting a lot of data and that's going to be useful data, that you can create a process for highlighting what it is you actually need to, to pull out of that sleep diary for the particular session that you're working on. And you can come up with a system uh, for that. Um, item them. Is that right? Absolutely. Okay. And item number two that I heard was don't shy away from treating insomnia if it's present, even when your client has other conditions present, even when they're stressed, even when there's anxiety, even when there's depression, it can be really helpful and in fact, quick to treat insomnia well and give them a better quality of life and meet, meet their uh, needs on Maslow's hierarchy. Is that right? Absolutely. Okay. 
And then the the last thing that I think I would take from this that maybe you didn't articulate um, exactly or directly, Tim, is the role of consultation, which I feel like is something that comes up at the end of almost every episode that we do. Um, and I can, you know, simplify and just say actionable intel item number three is call Tim for consultation. We can just have that as our actionable item. Or Corinne. <laughs> too. I'm going to make sure both of your home phone numbers are in the show notes. So. <laughs> Wonderful. Give our address too, so people can just kind of stop by as they need to. <laughs> but uh, in all seriousness, it sounds like consultation is really helpful in learning how to score the sleep log, learning how to take away the important data from the sleep log, getting some input as to whether insomnia treatment is appropriate given comorbidities, um, and also... Tim, as you helpfully uh, noted, thoughtfully noted, when you run into trouble, when you need a second opinion, when your client's not getting better, when you think that you're doing everything right. Oh, I, absolutely. And I'll just say on the consultation piece, I've had so many people who, who have reached out post uh, our training workshops for cognitive behavioral treatment for insomnia or um, during our um, BBTI or brief behavioral treatment for insomnia consultation stuff. So CDP is an amazing resource. And um, we definitely have some resources that I can share that Jenna can drop in the um, the link notes uh, for, for this episode as, as, as well for, for individuals in terms of videos that help to review kind of some of that sleep um, scoring stuff uh, for, for providers. That's fantastic. Yes, we. I will say, um, even though I am not a sleep expert or a sleep trainer, I have checked out and appreciate the amazing amount of resources that we have um, on our CDP website for sleep disorders and treating sleep disorders and wanting, wanting to learn more about that. So we will definitely make sure we link those in the show notes. Um, and I feel like I'm ready to, you know, get on the sleep treatment train and and start to, you know, start that's to exactly what I was going to ask Jenna, Are, like, yeah. has this conversation made you excited to join our team to maybe come oh. on board and do some sleep treatment? Um, you know, I'm excited. I'm not, I'm not sure I'm ready to jump on the treat, the, the team quite yet, but oh, um, no, you have a pretty robust training team of, of great providers. If you haven't taken one of uh, the, the CBTI cognitive behavioral therapy for insomnia trainings, um, do, do try to sign up it. They are a fabulous team. You will not be disappointed. Um, and it's a very common present, you know, I don't think I've ever worked with a client who didn't have some sort of sleep issue going on, whether that was, you know, full-blown insomnia or just challenges with sleep. So all of us could benefit from uh, definitely sharpening those skills. I feel wide awake now. You know, I was so sleepy at the beginning and I am just, my eyes have been opened and I am wide awake. We are so, like a uh, shot of espresso you for you, are, Jenna. You are. That is what it is. Um, um, if, I'll say uh, thank you all. Thank you for being here. Um, thank you so much, Tim, for joining us and giving us some insight into what's coming up in consultation. We will take you up on your offer to um, share those resources with our listeners. And um, we will give out your home phone number as well in the show notes. Just kidding. Um, anything that we missed, Tim? Anything that, that needs to be added here? No, I think you guys did a great job of, of summarizing that. Okay, awesome. Well, thank you, everybody, for listening. Thank you, Tim, for joining us. And we will talk to you all next time. Bye, everybody. Sweet dreams. Thanks for listening to Practical for Your Practice. Please feel free to subscribe, like, and share. Until next time. <laughs>